0: Good morning, morning. our reading today is from Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 25, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The word of the Lord.
1: So, there is a billboard here in St. Louis along one of the interstates. I don't know if you've seen it, but it says, Real Christians Obey the Teachings of Jesus. All right, quick show of hands. Who here would say, I agree with that? That is an accurate statement. We got some hands, yeah, yeah. Okay, who here would say, no, I disagree with that? That is not quite an accurate statement. You got some, got a few tentative, like, yeah. Kind of hesitant hands on both sides. Okay, who here would say it is a bad idea to get your theology from billboards, bumper stickers, or memes? (laughs) Everybody. All right, that's the correct answer. You all passed. Well done. Okay, but I, I do think that this billboard brings up an important question. What's a real Christian? Right? Like, Jesus tells us that there are counterfeit Christians out there. People who look like, you know, who look and talk and act like Christians, but at the end of history, it's revealed that it wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. They didn't. They weren't really following Jesus. So, how do you know the difference? What's what's the really, you know, right? Well, the simple answer to that question is something that we've already seen in the sermon series that we've been in for the last few weeks. The simple answer to the question, what is a real Christian, is that real Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, right? But, and that's something, so if you haven't been with us, by the way, we've been in a sermon series called, Who is the Holy Spirit? And we've been studying the Holy Spirit, as you might imagine. Uh, and so what we've been doing is we've been kind of teasing apart and really looking at all of the different things the Holy Spirit does in the life of the church and in, as individual believers, right? And we're going to continue uh, doing in this series for a few more weeks. Uh, but if we could really distill it down, like the, really the heart, the, the big thing the Holy Spirit does, that really all of the other things the Holy Spirit does stem out of is that the Holy Spirit indwells the people of God. Okay? So that—Beverly talked about this a couple weeks ago, if you guys remember, that when you become born again, you know, ever heard that phrase? You become a born-again Christian, which means you are a really real, authentic Christian now. That is not something you do. It is a supernatural event where the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Right? That's what it means to be a real Christian. But there's still this lingering question of how do you know? Right? Like, How do you know that supernatural event has taken place? Because this doesn't always coincide with some sort of big, splashy experience. And it's not like the Holy Spirit turns on this neon sign over your head that says, Occupied. How do you know? Right? Now, that's a really important question to ask. Because odds are, there are some of us in this room who you think you're following Jesus, but the reality is you don't actually have the Holy Spirit. It's fake and that is a really dangerous place to be and you don't want to be in that place for long or maybe some of you are here and you know you're not a christian you know that you're not following jesus but you're here to consider the claims of christ this is a really important question for you too because here's the thing if you are going to follow jesus you need to know what you're signing up for right but the question of how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit or not, if you really are a real Christian or not, that is the question that Paul addresses in our passage this morning. And what Paul tells us is that if you really have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you and active in your life, there will be fruit. All right. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is a very famous passage, and it is, because of that, it is also a very misunderstood passage. So, let's take some time to really study what God is telling us in His Word this morning. And we're going to do so by looking at three things. We're going to look at the desire of the flesh, the desire of the Spirit, and the steps we take. Okay, so if you're a note person, you can write those three things down. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the Spirit, and the steps we take. All right, let's begin with the desire of the flesh. Now, if you guys remember last week, Eric preached uh, another sermon from a different passage in Romans. Uh, but Romans is also written by the Apostle Paul, so same writer for both passages. Uh, And he uses similar language, talking about this dichotomy, this sort of contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, right? So, some of the stuff I'm going to say, there's going to be some overlap from last week, okay? But not to worry. Repetition helps with learning, okay? Uh, Now, our our passage actually comes to us from the book of Galatians, okay? So, where Paul, again writes to the church in Galatia. And the reason that he's writing to the Galatians is that there has risen up this false gospel, this kind of anti-gospel that the Galatian church has adopted that says, if you are to be a really real Christian, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, yes, you have to accept the gift of the indwelling spirit, but you also, in addition to that, you have to do all of these extra religious things. You have to obey these rules, things like the dietary laws in the Old Testament, and getting circumcised if you're male, right? And if, you, if you've ever read the book of Galatians, Paul is feeling a certain kind of way about this false gospel. And what he says here in chapter 5 is that this false gospel is a product of the flesh. Now, again, we talked about this last week, but let's go back to it. What is the flesh? I know some of us might be tempted to think, oh, I know what the flesh is. That's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? That's you know licentious living. Well, I can see why you might go there, because some of the stuff that the works of the flesh that Paul lists out kind of fit that category. But remember, he's talking to people who are religious people, who are engaging in hyper-religiosity, who are doing all of these extra-religious moral things. So, the flesh can't just mean sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What is, what is it? Well, what Eric told us last week is that the flesh, you know, the we're, by the way, this direction's the flesh, this direction's the spirit. This is how we're going to do it today. All right, the flesh and the spirit are like two competing stories, right? So, I'm going to, I think that that's that's right on, but let's, let's just shift that a little bit. Let's call them two different directions. Like, if your life is a journey, that's kind of an old way of thinking about life, that it's a journey, you know? You just kind of one day at a time one step at a time, you're making your way through the journey of life, right? So, if life is a journey, there are two directions that your life can go in, and these are opposite directions. These are east, are east and west, north and south. They go in polar opposites, and they end in radically different places, okay? One direction would be the flesh. So, what is that life- direction. What does that the flesh say? Well, I think a simple way to get to it is that the the direction, the way of the flesh says, I belong to myself, right? It's a life that is autonomous, independent from God that says, I belong to me, or as the old poem says, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Now, that doesn't probably sound all that wicked or bad to a lot of us in the room, right? Why is that? Well, it's because our culture, the world we live in, venerates, traffics in, promotes and celebrates the flesh. I mean, think about it. Every movie that we see and every television show and all over social media, even in the news and the music we listen to, all of it is constantly bombarding us with this message of, you belong to you. No one has the right to tell you who you are or how to live your life, right? As long as what? You don't hurt anybody else, right? We are constant. I mean, every story that we hear is all about somebody's on a journey and they're seeking to find their most authentic self, right? right? We're, we're bombarded with this messaging. But here's, there's a dirty underbelly to this way of the flesh, and it's this. That if you belong to you, then you bear the burden of meeting all of your needs. That need we all have to have an identity, to have a purpose, to have a sense of safety, well-being in the world, a sense of, like, belonging, right? All of these deep, fundamental human needs that we all show up with. You, if you belong to you, are responsible for meeting those needs, which means that you show up to every relationship, every circumstance, every, every situation from a deficit. Your needs are currently unmet, and it is your responsibility to fill them. And that leads to these works of the flesh. Okay? So, here we get to the list of Paul says, these are the works of the flesh. Now, take a look at that list for a minute. I don't know how this list strikes you. I think for most of my Christian life, I kind of looked at this list, and I just thought, it's just kind of a random selection of bad things. Like, Paul's kind of saying, like, hey, look, you're a Christian now. you got the Spirit. Just don't do these things like this. And he is saying don't do them, but that's kind of missing the point. These things are actually connected. Do you see that? There's a thread that runs through all of them. What is it? Well, let's look at it more closely. So, we got this first group here, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, orgies, okay? These are all connected words. They're basically, as a group, they're getting at sexual promiscuity, engaging in sexual activities with some outside of the context of a committed monogamous marriage relationship. Now, why is that bad? Because a lot of people in our culture would say, that's not bad. That's just, if if you do that, that's just you expressing you, right? Well, the reason it's bad is that what it's doing, it's objectifying people. It turns the other person or persons or the, the image of the other person, whatever, into a merely sexualized object that exists to satisfy your sexual desires, it even, obj- it even objectifies yourself. You abstract your sexuality from the rest of your personhood. You are now merely a sexual creature, disconnected from all of the other bits and pieces of who you are as a person. Right? It objectifies and reduces your personhood and the personhood of other people. Now, what about the second group here? Idolatry and sorcery. How is that even connected? Well, it is. Idolatry, and what Paul has in mind here is sort of ancient old world paganism. Okay? The closest thing we have to that probably today is Hinduism. And the idea is it's about manipulating the gods. If you can pray the right prayers, you can do the right kinds of sacrifices, do the right kinds of spiritual rituals, you can get the gods to bless you and give you what you want. Right? Sorcery is the same deal. Magic. The idea is. It's all about harnessing and leveraging the powers of nature. If you, can, if you can say the right spell, if you can get the right incantations, you can harness the powers of nature to get what you want. It's an objectification of God and creation. What about this last group here? This is the biggest group, and most commentators that I, that I read read, kind of said, this is probably Paul's, like, focus here, because this is likely what's going on in the Galatian church. What's this, what's this picture we're getting with this? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Whew. What's going on there? Well, the picture is a community at war with itself. Why, what's, why is that? Well, if you've ever been a part of a community or that starts to cannibalize itself, usually what's going on is we have an agenda, right? Either me and my people, we have a reputation to uphold. We have, an, we have something that we want to accomplish. We have goals. And other people become either allies in the quest for fulfilling our desires or obstacles. And if you're an obstacle, either get on the bus or get rolled over by it, right? Right? Are you seeing the thread? The thread is that because you belong to you and you bear the responsibility of meeting all of your needs, therefore others, other people, creation, even your own body, think drunkenness, become tools for getting what you want. The desire of the flesh... Is relationship but only as a means to meet my needs and you know what that does to relationships it dissolves them it eats them away right you know when someone's using you to get what they want and does that make you want to get closer to that person <laughs> no so if you follow that way all the way to the end and that's what when Paul says that word, gratify the desires of the flesh, he's talking about follow, if you follow that all the way to the end of the road, and you use your body, you use other people, you use creation, you even try to use God as a tool to gratify your needs, you will end up with no relationships at all. You will have no relationship with God. You will have no relationship with others. You will have no relationship with creation. You won't even have a relationship with yourself. And all you will be left with is unsatisfied desire. You know what Jesus called that? Hell. The desires of the flesh is relationship as a means to an end, and that will destroy all relationships. But that's the flesh. What about the spirit? What does the Spirit desire? Well, again, if there are two opposite directions, what's the opposite, right? Well, Paul says it explicitly, doesn't he? Paul says that, you know, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So, if, if I don't belong to me, if I'm going the way of the Spirit, that means I belong to Jesus. It's a life that says, I belong to Jesus. Now, I, I know I know this just rubs against our American sensibilities. This sounds like oppression. This sounds like slavery. We're like, excuse me? I don't belong to anybody, right? Like, I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. And I think one of my favorite places that, this, that really highlights this is the Heidelberg Catechism. If, you, if you're unfamiliar, a catechism is a way of teaching the faith but through just questions and answers, questions and answers, okay? Heidelberg Catechism was written in Heidelberg, Germany, several hundred years ago by a bunch of dead white guys, okay? Uh, so, and, but it's one of the catechisms we would look to. And the very first question, it's beautiful, uh, Christian, what is your only hope in life and in death? And, what's, and this is a bit of a long answer, but just bear with me for a second. My only hope in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Now, I know. That's a mouthful it was long but did you hear the thread of because i belong to jesus all of my needs are his responsibility because if i belong to jesus he bears the burden of meeting all my needs and he already has through his life through His death, through His resurrection, all of those deep fundamental needs of identity, security, well-being, purpose, all of them have been met in Jesus, right? And if that's true, what does that do? Well, that takes us to the fruit. Oh, back up one. Here we go. The the second list that Paul has, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, what do we notice about this list? What's different? Well, one thing we can notice right away is that this list is a package deal. They go together. How do we know that? Well, it's not as explicit in English, but in the Greek it's very clear. Paul says fruit singular, not fruits plural. It's one fruit. Not fruits many, but one. So these, these things go together. You can't pull love and patience apart from each other or self-control. and kind. They, they go together. They're one thing. Moreover, let's look at this list again. None of these things describe action, do they? Right? These describe the how, the why you do what you do, but they don't say anything about what you do. We might, well, they're not actions, they're characteristics. Right? So what we're getting is this picture of a character, a person's character of who they are, that who they are is a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? Now, what, is, what does these characteristics do for relationship? Well, instead of destroying relationships, they, this, this is the character that seeks out relationship, creates relationship, preserves, protects, restores relationship. This is the, this is the kind of, if you were this kind of person, This is the kind of character that seeks out relationship for its own sake, not because I need something from you and I have to use you to get my needs met, but I just want to be in relationship with you because I want to be in relationship with you, right? The fruit of the Spirit is a character that desires relationship for its own sake and is willing to extend self in order to get it. Who does that remind you of? This, who's who's like this? Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you, friend. Jesus is God. He has existed for all eternity past in perfect love and communion within the Godhead God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a loving community within himself. He didn't create you to get attention or validation. Jesus didn't need to become a human being, but He did. And he lived a life of misery and suffering and sorrow. And he went to the cross. Why? Well, as the writer of the Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. What possible joy was in front of Jesus that he didn't already have? You. Being in relationship with you was the joy that Jesus, it was wanted so badly that He endured, went to hell and back again. Jesus allowed His relationship with God the Father that had existed before all time to be severed. He sacrificed His loving, intimate relationship with God the Father on the cross so that you could have a restored relationship with Him. That's who He is And what Paul is saying is that if you are living life in the Spirit, that character has been given to you and is being worked into the very recesses of who you are. That character that sought you out to restore relationship with you, that wanted relationship with you for its own sake, not in order to gain something that was lacking in himself, that character has been given to you. The desire of the Spirit is to give you the character of Jesus. But what do we do with that, right? Well, that brings us to our last point. We've seen the desire of the flesh. The flesh says, I belong to myself, and therefore all of my most fundamental needs are my responsibility. And so the flesh desires relationship, but only as a means for fulfilling my needs. And so therefore it destroys relationship. The desire of the Spirit is to give us the character of Jesus, a character that desires relationship for its own sake and is willing to extend self in order to have that relationship. So, but what do we do with that? Well, Paul tells us explicitly, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. But what does that mean? What does that mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, the best illustration that I could come up with is this. Have you ever seen one of these automated walkways at the airport, right? It's like an escalator, right? Same technology, but instead of going up, it just kind of goes flat. So if you're in one part of the airport, it like uh, kind of moves you to the other part of the airport, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so it's kind of like we're over here. We're in concourse the flesh, okay? We are dead in our sins, as Paul said. We're in concourse the flesh. And because of who he is, and by his just because of his mercy, Jesus miraculously transports us onto this automated walkway of life in the Spirit. And now He moving us towards the new heavens and new earth, where one day everything everywhere, and within the deepest parts of who we are, and in creation, everything is the way it's supposed to be again. Okay, so but we're on this moving walkway, but it's kind of like we have this baggage. We have these like, bags and a backpack and a purse and other and like a grocery bag and it's all the stuff that we picked up in concourse the flesh but it's not like normal baggage it's like velcroed and safety pinned and duct taped to us and it's heavy and it like has this weird magnetic pull back to concourse the flesh and so we're like it's this you know like this thing, right? And so what, it, what happens to all of us is that it just its exhausting. It's tired. So what do we do is we turn around and sometimes we even start to kind of move back towards the ways of the flesh, right? And some of you have walked that way for a long time and you know it, it hurts you, it hurts others, and it's literally moving against the grain of what the Spirit is doing in your life. It's a hard place to be. And what Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, what he's saying is turn around and work in the direction that the Spirit is going. Right? Now, what some of you just heard me say is you're a Christian now, so get serious about obeying God and really work hard at being more loving, more joyful, more patient, more self-control. Okay? That is not what I am saying. Because that is a turn back to the flesh, because that that framework says, I need the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and I don't have it, so the only way to get it is if I work really hard to get it. No, you have the character of Jesus. He has given it to you freely, and the Spirit of God is supernaturally working it into the very fiber of who you are. If you turn from the flesh and you turn into the way of the Spirit, what are you looking at? Jesus. Keeping in step with the Spirit means keeping your eyes on Jesus. Now, what does that actually look like, boots on the ground? Well, I think two things that are really important. There's an implication in what Paul says here, that keeping in step with the Spirit requires time and community. Fruit doesn't show up overnight it grows, <laughs> all right? Journeys don't end in a day. They, they take time. It takes multiple days, right? There's time. You, the Christian life isn't you one day, God just zap, and now you're a perfect Christian. It doesn't happen that way, right? It's a slow day-to-day progress, and it's a fight, right? That baggage is heavy, and it doesn't let go easily. It's a fight. It's a struggle, which is why the second part is so crucial, community. The character of Jesus is fundamentally relational, so it makes sense that the way he designed it is that he, yes, he brings, brings us again to new life, and he puts us in community, into relationships with each other, and we need each other because the character of Jesus is both for the sake of relationship, and it enhances relationship. The only place that you're going to see, am I becoming more patient, am I becoming more kind is in relationship with other people. And those same relationships are the things that are going to... It's much easier to turn this way when other people are doing the same, right? And other people are like, hey, let me help you let go of that bag. And over time... So what, again, what does this look like? It means things like coming to church. I know it sounds really kind of dull and boring, right? But this is this, you are engaging in supernatural work here. The Spirit of God is at work in all of these people's lives in this room, and He's using that to work also in your life. Come to church as much as you're able. Show up to community group. Commit yourself to others. Confess your sins to each other, not just silently on Sunday morning, but to one another. It looks like reading your Bible, yes, alone, but also with other people. Praying, yes, alone, but with other people. And and engaging in things like spiritual discipline, stuff that Eric talked about last week, mortifying our sin, right? And over time, day by day, as we, like, lean this way, working with the Spirit, what we will find is that the Spirit will, bit by bit, begin to break that Velcro, those pins, those threads, and the luggage that we've been dragging from the concourse of the flesh will slowly, bit by bit, begin to come undone. And look, It never is fully completed in this life. It's never perfect, this life. But I I am telling you from my own experience and from the lives of some of you in this room, there is real, tangible, measurable victory in this life. Hear that? Amen. Amen. Now, if that's where we're headed, and that's what we want, Doesn't it just make sense, as hard as it is, as much as it's a fight every day, doesn't it make sense to just keep going? Because we're not alone. We have each other, and more importantly, God Himself is with you, and He's the one powering the whole project. You can't lose. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank You That you loved us so much, not because you needed something from us, but simply because you loved us. And you've given us your Spirit. I pray that those of us, Spirit, that you are living, that you are indwelling, that you would empower us more and more and more to walk in step with you, to cooperate with the work you're doing in us. And for those of us who don't have your presence indwelling our lives yet, I pray that, Lord, that you would change that, that you would, Holy Spirit, bring resurrection power to their life today. Bring faith, supernatural faith that we cannot muster up on our own. But for all of us, Lord, give us endurance. Give us the steadfastness that you have to keep walking. Because the day is coming when we won't have to fight anymore, but we will have finally and forever the full intimate relationship that we were created for and that you died for. Long for that day, Lord Jesus, come quickly, and in your name I pray. Amen.